Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Leslie Karst to the podcast today. Leslie is the author of the Lefty Award-nominated Sally Solari Culinary Mystery Series. The daughter of a law professor and a potter, she waited tables and sang in a new wave rock band before deciding she was ready for a real job and ended up at Stanford Law School. It was during her career as a research and appellate attorney in Santa Cruz, California, that Leslie rediscovered her youthful passion for food and cooking and once more returned to school, this time to earn a degree in culinary arts. Now retired from the law, Leslie spends her time cooking, cycling, gardening, singing alto in her local community chorus, and of course, writing. She and her wife and their Jack Russell mix split their time between Santa Cruz and Hilo, Hawaii. Is it Hilo? Yeah, Hilo. Yeah. <laughs> Leslie, it's, what a lovely life you have, and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, Julie. I'm so uh, pleased and honored to be invited to, to talk to you today. Well, I I love talking to people about writing and their writing journeys. Um, and you know, I usually start where I'm going to start with you. How did how did it start for you? You know, you you obviously had a lot of creativity in your interests, and you had a potter as a parent, and you know, your singer and your uh, culinary arts. But how did the writing um, the writing bug hit? Like, when did you say to yourself, "I want to write a novel"? Well, I never, I actually never set out to be a writer. I mean, like, unlike a lot of my fellow writers, I I never, I didn't write short stories in high school or college. I didn't ever, I've never studied creative writing, Um, but I was a lit major in college. So I obviously wrote a lot of uh, literary criticism and, and, and so I, and and term papers. Um, And then after I graduated from college, I, as you mentioned, I uh, ended up starting a new wave rock band and I wrote the lyrics and the music for it, which was really fun. And I loved that. It, and I and I also went through the you know early 20s phase of angst ridden poetry that yeah. many of us <laughs> have gone through. Um, and uh, so I think that's when I first got the writing bug. But of course, it was short lyric, lyric mm-hmm. poetry and lyrics. Um and and then I ended up in law school and wrote for a living. I spent 20 years as a research and appellate attorney, um, which is uh, all you're doing is research and writing. Um, and I think so. Obviously, I like words. And so uh, when I when I retired from the law, I thought, you know what, I'm going to write a novel. I, I hadn't written one before. So I sort of came at it, I guess, in a different direction. I mean, I don't think. There are a lot of lawyers that write novels, but I bet I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Most of them probably had done creative writing beforehand. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually really interesting. Did you have to um, work the appellate lawyer writing out of you when you were looking at the creative writing? Because that's a whole different type of writing. It's interesting. Um, not really. 
partly because since I've, you know, as a lit major in college, <clears throat> I've done a lot of reading of, of novels and fiction. And so I had sort of a gut feeling for how it should feel. And, um, and I actually think um, that being a, a legal writer really helped me as a, in particular as a mystery author, because it's actually more similar than you'd think. Um, when you're writing a, a motion, a persuasive motion, which is going to be read by a judge, you're trying to get that person to decide in your favor, right? So you, you've got to tell a good story and you have a certain set of facts. You can't divert, you know, change from them too much, but you can choose where to place them, how, what to emphasize, mm -hmm. how to tell your story. And it's a little bit, and when I started writing mysteries, I realized it was actually really similar because where you put your red herrings, where you put your clues. I mean, obviously with a legal brief, you you have an ethical duty. You can't leave things out that are really important and you can't lie. Uh, and you can definitely lie when you make up fiction. But, <laughs> but actually it ended up, I think, at least for the organizational aspect of it, but also the storytelling, because uh, you have to do a statement of facts when you write a, a brief. It's usually the first thing that the judge reads. And um, so I, I actually think it ended up helping me quite a bit. And you said that you went, after you retired, you decided to, to take on novel writing. Mm -hmm. So how did you, I mean, you're a reader, and that's actually one of the best ways to learn. But did you um, mm -hmm. join a writer's group? Did you take a class? I mean, how did you sort of wrap your brain? And was it always going to be crime fiction or did you sort of play with genres as well? I decided right off the bat that I wanted to write a mystery um, because I like I loved reading them. And my my mom had first got me reading mysteries when I was in junior high school. And so I and I and it just seemed like a really fun and also analytical kind of uh, fiction to write. Yeah. Um, and I knew right away that I wanted it to be culinary because I'm obsessed with food and cooking. <laughs> um, uh but I didn't actually, you know, I've always been a loner when I've done stuff. I, I read a lot of books, how to write a mystery novel. I read probably 10, 10 different books. I read a lot of mysteries and sort of analytically and looked at them. Uh, but I know I did not take a class. <laughs> I've since, you know, been involved in lots of, you know, uh, conferences and conventions and things yeah. where I've sat through things like that. But no, at the time I was writing my first uh, Sally Solari mystery, I just did it all alone, which probably wasn't too bright because I went through a lot of revisions <laughs> later on. Well, I could have maybe self saved myself some time if I had taken a writing class, but no, I did not. <laughs> Well, you, I don't know that you could have, right? I mean, that first book, you're learning how to write a book. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. not, it's not, there's no <laughs> shortcut to that. It's, uh, no. it's just, learning. so how did, how did Sally come to you? Did she, would, was she, did she help drive the decision to write these books or, or as a character, did you say, I want to write a book and I love cooking. So I got to come up with somebody who fits. Well, I kind of, that happened. I, that was at the very beginning. Yeah, I want to write a book. And I knew I wanted it to take place in Santa Cruz because I just love this community so much. I've been here since 1974. Um, and, you know, it, 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 this sounds like a made up story, but it's true. I was um, walking out on our beautiful historic Fisherman's Wharf where, uh, you know, our town has, its history is really interesting because we had uh, back in the late 1800s, the Italian fisherman, this guy, one of the Stagnaro family, he was on a ship and he jumped ship in 1880 something and uh, loved Santa Cruz. And he went back to Genova and he brought all his family back and friends. And now to this day, there's a huge Italian community in Santa Cruz that are mostly from that part of Italy in Liguria. Wow. And um, 
so, you know, obviously this town has lots of different history, but that particular history struck me because a lot of them opened restaurants, right? So yeah. I was out walking on the Santa Cruz Wharf, walking around, and I was looking at these old Italian seafood restaurants. But I was also thinking about, this was in the early aughts. And so by then, you know, the university came into town in the 60s, which is what brought me here. And with it, the hippies and then the hipsters and the techies and the trendy restaurants and things. And so the community, even in the, what, four or five decades I've been here has really changed a lot. And mm -hmm. it struck me that day, wow, what if I had a, a, like a fourth generation is what she ended up being Italian gal whose family owns a restaurant, traditional restaurant out on the wharf, but she inherits this trendy upscale scale foodie restaurant. And it makes this, you know, uh, uncomfortable dynamic in the family because her father all of a sudden starts thinking she's looks down on the family heritage and so that's sort of a, a, a underlying current throughout the whole series uh, between her and her father, who they get along great. They love each other, but they they yeah. uh, they have this conflict that sort of and, and, and within Sally herself, too. Um, so it was fun. And so anyway, once I got that idea, um, it, it kind of this, the story sort of wrote itself, because in the first book, Dying for a Taste, Sally inherits this restaurant, Gauguin a French Polynesian restaurant. And she's all of a sudden introduced to the whole uh, culture of sustainable agriculture and humanely raised animals and things like that. She's never really thought about much. And it's not like a political, you know, I'm not hitting people over the head with it, but it's, she just sort of learns about this and mm -hmm. goes, oh, interesting and, and weird. And what's, you know, and so it's kind of fun to play. It's very much, it's very Santa Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> Well, place is such an important thing, and and mm -hmm. uh, and all of those textures. Um, so you just you've got your character, you've got your setting, you've got your you know tensions. Um, how did you you know your legal background probably gave you more ideas than you needed uh, for mm -hmm. for some of the crimes? But you know how how did you go about sort of setting up that the the mysteries and the tone of the series as well? Because it's 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 not a heavy series. It's a lighter series. No, it's not a heavy. I call them snarky cozies, though, because they do have a little bit of uh, more of an edge to them than some cozies. Um, <laughs> I you know, I um, I when I first wrote the first draft of the book, I actually had Sally as still as being an attorney uh, who then inherits this restaurant. And my uh, agent had me change it because apparently, you know, she didn't think that publishers would want um, the two careers, the restaurateur and the attorney right. at the same time. And it made sense. So I made her an ex-attorney. I made her an attorney that had come back to work uh, at her dad's restaurant after her mother had passed away, which was really useful in the books because she does have a legal background. Um, and so it helps her with things like, um, uh, you know, probate law and things like that and wills and trusts, which come into play and in murder mysteries sometimes. Uh, as far as the plot, I mean, I don't want to give away the the story, but it it um, it was actually loosely inspired by something that not a murder. There was no murder, <laughs> but that happened to um, my wife when she was working as an electrician, and um, just sort of some of the dynamics between the people and stuff. Uh, so, but you know, it, gosh, it was so long ago. To tell you the truth, I don't remember exactly how I came up with the plot. For me, plotting is the most difficult part of writing the books. So what's your typical process like for writing a book? Um, so I come up with a general overarching idea and I usually come up with uh, the murderer and the reason for the murder 
pretty quickly. And then I sort of work backwards. Um, I'll usually um, have some sort of, I've been in each of the different books, I've been focusing on different aspects of, uh, of our area and here in sort of central North California, uh, coastal California. And so in the first one, it was a lot to do with the um, agriculture and, as I said, sustainable agriculture. And she's learning about that and taking over this this trendy restaurant. Um, and then so one thing most people would not recognize us from reading the books, but it was it's been fun for me is that each of the books has is is loosely focused on one of the five human senses. So the first one is is taste, obviously, and and taste does play a, a part in the book, metaphorically and literally. <laughs> and uh, the second one, a measure of murder, is uh, the sense of hearing. And in that one, I focus. Sally joins her BFF ex boyfriend Eric's community chorus because I sing in choruses. And they're singing the Mozart Requiem, which is one of my very favorite pieces. Yeah. And it has a great mystery to itself because Mozart didn't finish it by the time he died. If you've seen Amadeus, you kind of know loosely <laughs> that's sort of a fictional account of that. But the, the Requiem has all this mystery about it. And so it has to do with a discovered piece of manuscript and that kind of stuff. And so uh, it's still very much about food. But um, so there's hearing in that one. And then the third one, inspired by Paul Gauguin, who's the namesake of the restaurant she's inherited. Mm -hmm. She gets interested in painting and she takes a plein air painting class, which is fun because she gets to go all over the area and these, these beautiful places. And so that one is um, vision. And then the let's see, the fourth one, murder from scratch uh, is sh her young cousin comes to stay with her because uh, because her mother has been found dead and this young gal Evie is blind and uh, mm. and so in that one it's a sense of touch because Evie's heightened sense of other senses in particular touch actually ends up helping Sally solve the crime because she's able to uh, figure things out that Sally just got, went by her and and then the one that's coming out in August the fragrance of death is a sense of smell although it's technically the lack thereof, because on page one, Sally wakes up having lost her sense of smell, uh, not COVID. It's pre-COVID. It's from a sinus infection that she had, which happened to me once, and it scared the bejuggers out of me being yeah. a cook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. And then the one I'm writing right now, the work in progress is a little bit sort of sixth sense stuff in it, just a little bit. So, oh, that's so fun. that's kind of you know. So I start with that, and then and then um, you know I don't know how we ever come. How does anybody come up with a plot? I don't I don't have the answer to that. If I did, I, my life would be a lot easier. <laughs> but you have a, you know who the murderer is and the reason for the murder before yeah. you you start. So, yes. um, but you don't. In one book, though, actually, in one book, I changed my mind midway through. I won't say which book. Uh, and I won't say anything about who the, the person ended up being originally was, but I did once change my mind. <laughs> and so do you, so you pants, you're a pantser. Is that, is you know, that. I'm, I'm not, you know, I used to be very much of a um, plotter. The first book I plotted up the entire thing, uh, outlined everything. And, and with each book, I've gotten less plotty and more pantsy. And um, I don't know if that's because I'm just more comfortable with the genre or I got bored without lining or I got 
impatient and I wanted to write before I had an outline. And <laughs> maybe it's that. Yeah. yeah. So this one I'm working on right now, number six. Uh, I I had the, I knew the murderer and I knew the reason and I knew the sort of the general arc of the story, but that was really about all. And I had a deadline because I have this uh, contract and um, I went, oh dear, I really need to start writing. So I just started writing and it's been interesting. I'm not sure how much I like it. It's kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, you know, there's editing and editing and editing and yeah, yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff, which always helps with that. Um, do you um, have a routine? Do you write every day? I, well, I'm, you know, right now when I, with this deadline coming up, yes, I try to write, I try to write most days, um, but I'm not, I'm, it's not set in stone. I'm a pretty driven person. I don't have to make myself do things to get, if I need to get something done, I get it done and I don't have yeah. to worry about that. So I don't have a, a, a rule for myself, um, but I generally will get up, read the newspapers, have a cup of coffee, check my email, do all that kind of stuff, and then sit down and when I and write. You know, these last months I've been trying to write for a couple hours at least every late morning into early afternoon. And um, but then there's you know you're also writing blog posts yeah. uh, and the marketing part because you get a book coming marketing out. Publicity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you count that, I'm writing a lot. Um, but yeah, well, I don't have a set rule for myself. Uh, do you, you know, you, you talk about, you, you jumped in there and since have taken workshops, what's the best and the worst piece of writing advice you've either gotten or you've heard, um, throughout these 20 years of writing? You know, I don't know about, I, I don't think I've gotten much bad advice, uh, but I, you know, people who insist that you have to write every day and have a schedule and, you know, I don't think I th you need to do what works for you. And so uh, so that kind of sort of insistence on rigidity, I, I don't think is always helpful. Um, but you have to know yourself. If you're somebody that needs that kind of thing, then, yeah, you should do it. But if you're pretty good. So so maybe that's not necessarily the best adv advice. But um, I think one of the best pieces of advice I got early on, and it might have been from reading one of those books I read. I don't remember even where, but it was to do your best to incorporate all of the human senses into, into all the scenes. Um, so don't just have somebody thinking, have them hear, hear things or smell things or visually mm -hmm. bring the, re the reader's eyes into it. Um, and not in every sense in every scene, but I try to think about that. And as you can see, I took it to heart and I actually kind of did it with my books. <laughs> Yeah. But I but I uh, I try and sometimes I forget and I'll write long scenes with just conversation and then I'll go it just as did, 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 did and I'll go back in and I'll add stuff in between to just sort of uh, make the reader feel like they're in that setting where it's happening and right. I'm experiencing it. Um, as far as um, and then as far as publishing, the best advice I ever got was uh, patience and perseverance. I mean, we can talk about that later, but if you want, but um, publishing is a very slow and very frustrating business. So, well, and I think part of what I love to talk about in this podcast is that writing your writing journey is under your control in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Your publishing journey isn't. Um, exactly. and so you can't equate talent with publishing necessarily. No. Uh -huh. um, 
And, you know, it's, uh, I think that that's hard and that's hard when you're starting out, but that's also hard mid career. That's hard when you're trying to switch lanes, you've just got to, you can control so much, but publishing what, what about the publishing journey surprised you? I wasn't, I don't think I was too surprised at how difficult it was to get, get my agent. And then also, and then even after getting an agent, how long it took to get a publishing contract. I, that didn't surprise me because of my music background. I think I had, yeah. I had uh, two different bands. I had the new wave rock band, a uh, new wave rock band right out of college that I, that I uh, mentioned. And then while I was in law, uh, a lawyer, I was right before it was before cooking school. I formed another band, a, a, a sort of country rock band. And um, we actually, you know, recorded a CD and were asked to go on tour. And at that point, I said, am I going to quit being a lawyer to do this? And like, no. So the band broke up. But I think that experience taught me about how I, I had a pretty good idea of how out of control you are in when you're trying to make a career out of the arts. Because mm-hmm. uh, the music business is, is, I think, way more cutthroat than the publishing business. And yeah. so I think I went in with my eyes open as far as that, but what I didn't, I'd heard and, but didn't really embrace it enough, I don't think, is that how much we are responsible for our own marketing and publicity. Mm-hmm. And my one regret is that I wasn't better about that for the first book. I just was too naive and I, you know, I'm much better about it now, but um, that, yeah, that I, I didn't get, you know. Yeah. And that it doesn't matter who your publisher is. It doesn't matter oh, no. what kind of contract it you have. You have to you have to participate in marketing. Yeah, yeah. And um, and none of us. I don't. I don't. I mean, I know. I don't know any of my friends who are mystery authors who actually like the marketing and publicity. Some of us are better than others at it. Uh, some of us are more extroverts and so it comes more naturally, but nobody likes it. It's really hard selling yourself. This is why yeah. it's nice to have a publicist if you can afford it because it's, and I hated it when I had my band too, cause I was the band manager and you have to go and sell yourself and say, we're really great. You've got to, you know, it's nobody likes doing that. It's very tough. <laughs> it is really tough, which is why some group blogs are, are so much better uh suited to writers because you can you promote each other it's i mean Mm -hmm. it's hard to promote yourself it's really easy to promote other people and so Um, you know what's great about our community our writer community is so amazing i just it's such become such a family for me but you know yes we have you know like you with the wickeds and i'm in chicks on the case um and they're great and they're just wonderful but it isn't even just that it's everybody is so supportive. And so, you know, if, if, if somebody I know has a book that's being published, I will promote it on my Facebook page and vice versa. And it's, it's, it's wonderful how generous everybody is. Yeah. I I think especially the crime writing community is incredibly um, kind to and generous. It's a, it's a good community. Absolutely. I've heard, yes, I've not heard the same things about uh, the literary fiction or the romance community yeah. so it could possibly i mean one of my thesis this is that thesis uh, is that uh, it's because we work out our aggressions on the page you know you're oh, killing like people <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're much nicer people because we get it all out <laughs> i like that but it really is it's just been such what a wow i just can't 
phrase enough how, how lucky I feel to have been uh, become a part of this community. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really it's a and being part of a community is the um, the other part of a writing journey that you don't understand when you first start out that you need it's to true. find people. I, I had no idea because when yeah. I first started out, I was totally alone. I went to my first. I think it was the California Crime Writers Conference way back when it was still in Pasadena. Um, and I didn't know a soul. And it was and you know, people were very friendly, but I didn't know anybody yet. And my goodness, now <laughs> when I go to those things, it's so it's so great. It's like going to a family reunion. Well, and for those of us who are at Left Coast Crime in 2022, uh, yes. you had a portable bar that made a lot of people happy since the bar closed <laughs> at like eight o'clock every night. That's going to be one of my favorite memories ever. That was awful great. Yeah, thank goodness we had, uh, my wife and I decided to do a road trip where I wouldn't have been able to bring that bar. It belongs to her, actually, uh, but she loaned it to me for the days of the yeah, cup. You made a lot of writers happy that weekend. Because <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, if anyone's ever thinking of hosting a writers conference do not close the bar at eight o'clock at night it just i know that was crazy leaving yeah, money the, on the table well because that's where all the real work gets done yeah and uh you know those of us who you know i'm usually flying in from the west coast so i'm on west coast time so i can stay up late so i'll be there one two in the morning closing the bar down with jim ziskin and you know <laughs> <laughs> um so finding groups like Sisters in Crime, I know you're, you're a member of, a, of several groups, but, you know, how how has that changed your writing journey? I, well, uh, certainly the things like the California Crime Writers Conference, which is put on by Sisters in Crime Southern California, I've, it, I, it has been invaluable for going to the workshops and uh, meeting people and, uh, you know, when I was looking for an agent, that kind of thing. Um, and so all of that kind of ed educational stuff has been very helpful because um, writing is a journey and you're always learning um, and yeah. you're always changing and growing. And so that Sisters in Crime has been just marvelous for that. But truly, I really think that it's the community that's the most important part. Writing is such a solitary activity. And not only are you just alone, but you're also always thinking, this is terrible. I, I hate what I wrote. It's horrible. Nobody will like it. And it's, you need that camaraderie of other people going through, the, having the same angst and saying, oh, I thought the same thing. And you're like, no, your book is great. Oh, if she thinks that, then yeah. maybe I, you know, and that, that kind of thing. And Sisters in Crime was, they were the first uh, group like that, that I joined. And from the day one, people were just so accepting of me, even though I was a newbie and, um, and the guppies, if you're not a guppy, I mean, I started, you know, they were originally the great unpu unpublished. Um, and, and these days I think it's probably equal parts published and unpublished because all the people who got published stayed a guppy because it's such a wonderful community. <laughs> it is a wonderful community. So for folks who don't know, it's an, um, internet based, um, chapter of Sisters in Crime, by far the largest. I think a quarter mm -hmm. of our members are members of the Guppies. Um, and it did start as the Great Unpublished. And Leslie Butterwitz talked about she, was, she wasn't a founder, but she was one of the first Guppies. They would pass around 
packets of letters to each other because there was no internet when it all started, which I just find fascinating. Um, but it's, it's huge resources and classes and connections. And, and Sisters in Crime itself is has a new community function that we're, we're trying to provide that for folks who aren't on the guppies. But if you're not published, the guppies are an, an amazing resource for and sure. And since the people who later became published stayed on, there's, you know, it's uh, people ask questions and there's everybody is so generous with their time yeah. to answer the questions and help out. And there's, you know, nobody thinks it's a stupid question because we all had the same questions when right. we started out. Uh, so, yeah, I really highly recommend uh, becoming a guppy if you are uh, starting out or even if you're published. <laughs> well, it changes too. the business changes all the time. So, you know, you may have it figured out now, but. <laughs> It could be different or <laughs> your series could not be renewed. I mean, there's a lot you could be changing I, agents. There's a lot that goes on in the writer's life that you need other writers to help you through because your family may want to be supportive, but they don't understand what, what it means, you know, what's that, going on. Sure, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nobody but another writer understands what a writer goes through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's um, and why we put ourselves through it, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you wish you'd known earlier when you, you first started out? I do love that you were a musician. So let me go back to that a little bit. Um, from the beginning, of course, also punk rock bands have a place in my heart as an 80s, 80s gal. <laughs> um, but um because that is, the, uh, I used to program a concert hall and we would get these people who used to sell out stadiums come in and do small concerts because it's such a hard business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. you just like, you, you're really big one minute and then you're, you know, playing to 200 person and maybe happier, but the money changes. I mean, it's a brutal business. I do it think- It is a brutal business and they make most of their money, uh, at least back when I was trying to get into the business- the record companies were so powerful that the royalties that the artists got from the records were tiny. And they so they basically made their money only from touring. And yeah. so it's really grueling. It's a grueling, yeah. grueling life. Yeah. And I think that that's still true to a, a certain mm -hmm. extent and, and also merchandise. Um, right. Exactly. Um, the t-shirts. Yeah. yeah um, can do things, but it's a, um, but it also does get, because it is an artistic pursuit. So you knew that loving something and being good at something and it being into the success you want it to be aren't don't those paths don't always get you exactly. the same place. Sometimes they intersect and those are glorious moments, but you can't expect the intersection. No, you can't find success. It. I mean, obviously not all, not a hundred percent of the time, but most of the time artists who do succeed commercially are good at what they do. Um, and so you, it's really helpful if you, in fact, are a good writer or are a good musician or songwriter, <laughs> it, there are exceptions, but generally that's, you need to do get there first. Um, but, but the problem is, is that that isn't a guarantee that then you will be successful. Um, then there's a certain amount of, uh, uh, serendipity. For instance, in my case, uh, the way I ended up getting my agent, I had sent out over 120 queries over a period of over a year with, you know, I'd gotten asked for partials and, and some full manuscripts and I got some good feedback, but I never, you know, got that phone call. But, you know, after 120, uh, I almost gave up. I hired a developmental uh, editor to, 
to look at my manuscript and she actually didn't have a whole lot to say about it. But what she did say was, this is, this is good. You should keep going. It, you know, you get many, many no's. It only takes one. Yes. So I got reinvigorated and I, within about two months, I think I got, I got the phone call. Uh, And, and, and it turned out it was just serendipity. Crooked Lane was, had just recently uh, opened shop, so to speak. And they were looking for, cozies and traditionals and the letter to from them to my agent landed on her desk at around the same time my manuscript did yeah and she wasn't really even looking for new clients because you know most agents only have like 20 clients and they get like she told me she gets 20 to 50 queries a day uh and so a lot of it's it isn't about the fact that your book isn't good it's that they can't take any more clients they don't have anybody looking for that and so that's why you just got to keep going I'd say that's the number one thing I learned, at least with regard to the publishing and end of it. Yeah, no, it's such great advice is, uh, and and you're exactly right. It's the business. I mean, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's such an important thing for people. It's so hard to hear, but it's such an important thing to hear. But but it's good to hear because you don't, you, you realize it's not necessarily because your book is bad. Right. It likely has nothing to do with that. Right. So you're writing book six now. I am. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, tell me about your writing journey and how, how that's going. Are you, you know, looking, thinking about other things? Are you, you know, how are you feeling about this? Six books is a lot. You know, so. right now I'm actually feeling great. Uh, I got dropped by Crooked Lane after book four, uh, just because my sales weren't, you know, as high as they would have liked. Uh, they were, you know, I thought fine, uh, but you know, they want, it's a business. They want the next Stephen King. And, you know, uh, so anyway, that was depressing, but it was good timing because it happened during COVID. So at least I wasn't having a, you know, if I was going to have a book out, it was uh, good that it didn't happen then. And then out of the blue, my agent got a, uh, email from Severn house in England, asking if I wanted to do any more of the Sally Solari mysteries and I'd already written book five. uh, And so she sent it and they said, yes. And they signed me to two book contracts. So that was very exciting. So book five is coming out this in less than two months. It's called the fragrance of death. And, um, and then I'm writing book six. Uh, So that's very exciting. And then I also have another, it's not, it's not crime fiction. It's not even fiction, but I have a uh, book, a memoir that's coming out in April. You said earlier, I had a law professor father and a Potter mother. Well, my law professor father became friends with Ruth Bader Ginsburg back in the late sixties and early seventies, because they were both involved in, uh, in comparative law and they would go on these law junkets together and they remained in touch for many years. And he, um, he was when he was about to retire from teaching at UCLA Law School, he'd been trying to get Ruth to come and speak at the law school. And she's very busy, was very busy. And he finally said, this is my last year teaching. If you want to come on my watch, now's the time. And she said, yes, I'll come. And he told me that. And I said, oh, dad, oh, dad, I should cook. Yeah, I just finished you know, culinary school. I should cook dinner. I should go down and cook dinner for you and mom. And, you know, and he's and thinking he would sort of laugh. And he said, Oh, that's a great idea. And I went, Oh, gulp. <laughs> what have I got myself into? <laughs> anyway, I ended up cooking dinner for her and her husband and five federal marshals <laughs> at my parents' house. And so the story of my angst and in planning and preparation, but also the story of my relationship with my family and my own 
creative arc of where I was in my life mm-hmm. are all intertwined in the story. And it's coming out in uh, April and it's called Justice is Served, A Tale of Scallops, the Law and Cooking for RBG. I love and it. So I'm very excited about that. It's completely different. <laughs> but I'm very excited about that. And then I've also been working on a series set in Hawaii. Ah. Um, which uh, I it's just still at this point in the in the uh, metaphorical desk drawer, uh, a.k.a. my computer hard drive. Um, but it's um, it's different because it's uh, it's an older protagonist. She's closer to my age and she's a lesbian and uh, and she's married. And and so we'll see if the uh, publishing community is ready for that kind of a story. But it, they're similar in um, tone to the Sally Solari books. They're you know, they're cozies snarky cozies (laughs) and they're food oriented as well well food culinary cozies have a market i mean they do well and the older sleuths and lesbian sleuths um i i think that there's space where there wasn't uh before but how do you feel about that do you feel like the publishing world yeah there aren't I actually can't think of one cozy mystery with a lesbian protagonist. Uh, mm-hmm. There probably are ones that that, it, that it is published by a traditional press. Obviously, yeah. they're the uh, they're the gay presses. And then uh, Rob Osler's wonderful book, um, "Devil's Chew Toy," was just published by Crooked Lane. But that's a, a gay male protagonist. Mm-hmm. It has some lesbian side characters. So I don't know. You know, I, I think so. When I tell my uh, people that who are my readers about it, who are, you know, straight, they're like, that sounds fun. I would read it. So uh, I, they're just people. It's not particularly it's not like about their relationship, no. particularly any more than it is about anybody's relationship. Uh, right. And there's lots of hot lava in it. The book is set <laughs> during the that big eruption that happened back three years ago that took out that huge subdivision. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So it's it's called Molten Death. <laughs> so I, I live half time in Hawaii. So yeah, I, I no, would, and then which is great, but the whole lava thing may, always has made me like I just freaks me out. Pompeii saw pictures as a kid; it's always done me. In. Oh no, no, no! The lava in Hawaii historically, I mean, there have been exceptions, but the mostly they used to call it the drive-in volcano because you could just drive your car up and get out and walk out and see the lava flowing and. Uh, you know, it go, goes slowly. It's not, it's not, you know, not the same. Not it's not the same. same. <laughs> well, I'm hoping, I mean, there has, have been changes in publishing the last few mm-hmm. years and, and I'm hoping that the changes will continue and that there'll be um, openings for this voice, which I think is important um, and sounds exciting and fun. Um, and so, uh, but I think we all need to read um, read deeply into own voices books so that Absolutely. we can make sure that the publishers support them. Right. right. No, it's true. And, and, you know, the publishing business to its credit has really s- stepped up in the last five years or so, um, yeah. with, uh, with the BIPOC, uh, books are selling better, I think, or they're being published. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's particularly in the, you know, I, in the crime writing world, it's, it's, so wonderful to see the success stories. Um, and I think the the queer stuff is just, you know, it'll come to it's lagging a little behind. <laughs> but, 
Yeah, but it, it is. I feel like it is, but I also feel like it's. There's a moment that's that's here. Yeah. So we're we'll um, <laughs> we'll keep pushing it. So because that sounds exciting. It sounds really yeah. exciting. Um, what are you glad you learned on this whole journey, or what? If, what are you? Uh, you know, what what wisdom would you impart to somebody who's listening to this, who's thinking, you know. I want to try this or I'm not sure my book will get published or all mm-hmm. of the rest of it. You know, I think enjoy the process. Uh, I mean, it's possible you won't get published. You know, the fact is most, most people who, well, I mean, most people don't finish their books, right? Most people who pick up the pen to write a novel don't finish. So if you can f- actually finish a novel, that's a huge achievement. You're already in a tiny, tiny percentage and you should be really, really proud of yourself. Um, and then the rest of it, join Sisters in Crime. Go to the, some of these conferences. You know, if you if you can't actually travel, do the Zoom thing. Uh, get involved with the community, and uh, even if you know during that process, you'll make a lot of really close friends. Uh, you'll probably improve your writing, and uh, it's hard to say, but you know, don't sweat it too much. I mean, of course, it's easy for me to say I sweated it a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was also your third career or fourth career. I mean, if you count, you know, rock band and law and cooking and, you know, writing, I mean, so you've, you've, you've navigated a rich life. And I enjoy the creative process. So for me, just writing, it was so uh, fulfilling. I was, and I was so happy to have written that I didn't think I would ever be able to write a whole book, you know, 60, 70,000 words. No way I can, I do. So I was so excited when I finally did that. So I would just say, keep, yeah, persevere. That's my word of the day. <laughs> it's a good word. It's a good word. And, <laughs> and, have, uh, and believe in yourself and they sort of go together because you're not going to be able to persevere unless you have belief in yourself. And if you don't have belief in yourself, perhaps you're in the wrong, you know, business, or perhaps you just need to do something like join sisters in crime and realize that your lack of belief isn't really warranted and that you, you really uh, are, uh, have something to offer. Most people do. Such great advice because nobody cares about your book as much as you do. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you gotta believe in yourself (laughs) because nobody else cares as much. Um, well, I'm really excited about your, uh, serving justice, the book that's coming out next. Did I get that right? Justice is served. Justice, Justice is served. Sorry, Justice yeah, is April, served. April 4th. 2023. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, The Fragrance of Death is, uh, you don't have to wait as long for That's August 2nd, coming up in less than two months. I'm very excited 2022. about that. I'm, very, I'm really pleased with that book. I It has artichokes in it, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you love Santa Cruz so much. So that, because, mm-hmm. I, and it was the history you were explaining is so great because you can kind of see it's probably on the same place that Italy is as far as being able to grow things and the beauty and the, you know, just the wealth. It is. It's a similar climate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the artichokes because uh, they were brought over from Italy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the, Medi- uh, we definitely have a Mediterranean climate. Yeah. Yeah. Good for grapes as well. <laughs> um, and, you know, people can visit Santa Cruz by reading your book. So there's that. Right? There's that. Absolutely. I definitely think of Santa Cruz as being one of the characters. Yes. No, absolutely. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Julie. I love you all so very much. <laughs> Sisters in Crime and you and all the crime writers. And I'm honored and very pleased to be able to 
talk to you today. Well, it's our honor. And, uh, and thank you for all you do for sync and, uh, and congratulations on, on the success. And we're looking forward to reading the books. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast. <laughs>